Hey, I'm Bruce Weinstein, and this is the podcast Cooking with Bruce and Mark. And I'm Mark Scarborough, and together with Bruce, we have written 35 cookbooks, are writing our 36th, but the 35th is just now out, the Instant Air Fryer Bible. You've heard about it on this show. You've heard us talk about it. You want to up the game in your air fryer, even if you don't have an instant brand air fryer. You want to up the game in how you work it. Check out the step-by-step book. Instant Air Fryer Bible, and mostly, if you really pay attention, you'll see Bruce's hands and you'll get glimpses of our kitchen, (laughs) because it was shot actually inside our kitchen here in rural New England. That's out now, as they say, wherever books are sold. But we're not talking about air frying in this episode Mm -hmm. of the podcast. We're going to talk about sharing recipes Mm -hmm. and the ethics. Oh, whoa, 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 of sharing recipes. We've got our one-minute cooking tip. We have an interview with county fair legend Linda Skeens, who's like won every single award at every county fair. There was like one county fair where she got first, second, and third place in every category. Yeah, like insane. (laughs) And then talk about what's making us happy in food this week. So let's get started. Sharing recipes. It connects you with people. It deepens friendships. It makes relationships stronger sometimes. Well, sometimes. I remember once, this is years ago, and this is so pre-internet, this will tell you how old I am, but we're talking now the early 80s, and I was invited to a wedding, and I decided that a really nice wedding present would be this this couple didn't cook. Neither of them cooked really at all. And a really nice thing to do would be to write, and we're talking write, because we're talking in the days of 246K or 286K amber screen computers with daisy wheel printers. Your alarm clock has more memory and computing power than that computer. Exactly. (laughs) So (laughs) we're talking a long time ago, and I hand wrote a book of recipes, of my favorite recipes for them. And I was really detailed. This is probably the beginning of my cookbook career, but I didn't know it. And I was very detailed to help them know uh, exactly how to make these recipes. And I had certain recipes I loved like Caesar salads and stuff like that. And I wrote this out and I bought a really fancy, one of those fancy books that you used to be able to buy at like Barnes & Noble or Borders. There's how old I am. Borders. So that you could buy at places like that or local so- stationery stores. There's also how old I am. Local stationery <laughs> stores. Card shops. Yeah, and the... I gave it to them at the wedding. I'd already sent an engagement gift, but it was the wedding gift that I showed up with. I had to travel, by the way, for this wedding in the days even before destination weddings. I still had to travel to Ohio, which I guess is a destination wedding. It's still in the United States. And so anyway, I traveled and I gave it to them and Oh, my God. Okay, first of all, they were so tacky that they unwrapped all their gifts during the reception. What are they, five years old oh and it's a birthday God, party with so a clown and a pony? They sat at the head table <laughs> unwrapping the gifts and expected us to applaud each gift. And when she unwrapped my handwritten book of recipes, she quite literally threw it on the table behind her. I mean, she was like, thanks, and threw it on the table behind her. It was She didn't even look inside of it except to just, like, thumb. It and I was so hurt. So I don't know that that brought us any closer together. In fact, I can tell you, I've never seen that person again. So there you go. We've all been in that situation. We've been to someone's house for dinner. We loved something and we said, oh, would you share this recipe with me? And right. when people do, it's nice because they're sharing something that they've done that you liked at their house. But it can become problematic. It can. And we're speaking now of cookbook writers. And we've noticed that no one asks us 
for copies, can you Xerox, to use the old word, I'm still being really old, can you Xerox a copy of a recipe for me out of a book? Nobody really asks us that, but we notice that they ask our moms that, and they ask our siblings that. Can you send me Bruce and Mark's, I guess really actually just take a shot on your phone, but okay, can you send me Bruce and Mark's slow cooker recipe for block blop out of their slow yeah, cooker Yeah, my mother book? tells me all the time she has friends and cousins who like call say they don't have our books so they call me oh Deb can you send me Bruce and Mark's recipe for short ribs and my mother my mother to her credit says no buy the book yeah and here's the thing and this is something you may not know uh, you, this may have come up on this podcast before and you may know it if you've listened to us but I just want to say that you can actually not copyright a recipe let me explain that you can't copyright an ingredient list so no one can copyright the ingredients for i don't know chocolate chip cookies because if someone could they'd be making a fortune <laughs> off co- chocolate chip cookies because everybody would be you know essentially using let's say the toll house recipe it can't be copywritten what can be copywritten is the instructions for how to make that ingredient list. So all that stuff about, you know, heat your oven to and mix together and whisk together and all that verbiage down there, that's what can be copyrighted. You also can't copyright the title of a recipe. I don't know if you know this or not, but you can't copyright the title of a book. So we've written the Great Big Pressure Cooker book, and if you want to write the Great Big Pressure Cooker book, you can. More power to you. But (laughs) copyright's not an issue if you're talking about sharing a recipe with your friend. Right. That's an issue of stealing royalties from an author by by my mom's friends asking her to give her a recipe from our book, right. it's it's taking money out of my mouth by not buying the copy. What Mark is talking about, the copyright, is a problem when people then try and publish a recipe. Which they do. If you want to share it, even online, because you're publishing a recipe on a social media website, right. it is actually publishing. Right. So. There is a way you can change the recipe, right, to sort of make it yours where you override that copyright, but there are rules to that, aren't there? Yeah, there are rules to it, and you have to, if you want to, let's say you're a blogger and you want to use someone else's recipe, first of all, you should always give them credit. But if you don't, even if it's another blogger, even if it's a cookbook writer, even if it's a celebrity chef, you should give credit where credit is due. Come on, just do that. I mean, I run a podcast on Dante. Uh, It's a slow walk through Dante's comedy, the masterwork comedy. And this has been going on for two years, and we're almost to the bottom of Inferno. But anyway, I run this podcast, and I cite a lot of scholars because I get a lot of ideas from other people's articles. I name them. I say where their article is, what book it's found in, what where the article was published. I don't act like that's my information. It's not my information. I came across that idea by reading somebody else. And you should always give credit where credit's due. If you want to actually somehow <laughs> abscond with a recipe, you do have to change several things. The basic rule of plagiarism is five words in a row. So you have to be careful of... Can you just put a comma after every four words? No, that's not going to work. It's five words in a row is kind of the basic line that you've crossed five exact words in a row. I know that sounds crazy, but that is a plagiarism claim. And I have to tell you that it used to be, and I'm going to just add this right here, it used to be that I spent a lot of time, at least a full day every week, taking 
down our recipes off blogger sites and other sites across the internet when I would find them, find them actually word for word copied onto the site. And then, you know, there's all the blogger stuff about my babies and my strollers and all that stuff you go through and then the recipe at the bottom. And then it would be exactly our recipe with exactly our wording. And I would write the blogger and say, I'm sorry, you just have to take that down. You can't have that. Or at the very least, you have to say it comes from my book and you have to provide an Amazon link for my book. Well, that is always a thing with us. If people ask if they could put one of our recipes for free on their website or if companies want to use them, we're okay with that as long as they put links so that people have the option to then go buy the book if they like that recipe. Now, there is a very passive aggressive component to sharing recipes. And that is, you know, when I was growing up, my best friend's mother would share her recipes all the time. She loved to share them and she loved to leave out one ingredient. Okay, this is not passive aggressive. That's just mean. <laughs> because that's she didn't want mean. anyone to make it better than she did or even as good as she did. Uh, was it good? Was she a good cook? She was actually a very good cook. Now, my grandmother always accused me of adding or changing ingredients to her recipes. And so she didn't like to give me her recipes because she said, well, you change them. And she didn't oh. like that I changed oh, you them. you were I keeping did... them sacrosanct. Yeah, then her spry cookies, which basically had spry, that's how <laughs> that's old That's how I old am. you are. Which, for those of you who are not that old, it's basically Crisco, but the old version. It's vegetable shortening. And sugar and salt and flour. There was like no vanilla in them. There was nothing. And God the first... forbid. V- vanilla is flavor. You don't want any flavor in your food. And the first time I made them, I added vanilla and she tasted them and she said, I'm never giving you another recipe because you add, you changed them. You changed them. <laughs> so I, let me go back and say that I said I used to spend a lot of time searching for recipes online, but I don't anymore. And this is the honest to God truth. And the amount of content has proliferated to such an extent across the web that I am no longer able under my own steam to track down all the recipes mm. I need to track down. After all, the reason I have written 35 books now, published 35 books through eight New York houses, mm-hmm. publishing houses, and I cannot find... There's just I cannot spend all my time tracking down recipes and fifty thousand plus recipes. Cross referencing what I find on a site with the recipe in our book to see if the wording matches. I mean the ingredient list it's up for grabs, but does the wording of them what they call the method, does the wording of the method match and then blah blah blah. I will tell you that I still do occasionally do searches across the web for our books because People actually make PDFs out of cookbooks, mm. especially on Russian, Chinese, Uzbekistan, etc. those kind of sites, Turkish sites, and then they post them, and you can download, probably with a million viruses, you can download <laughs> the PDF of the Great Big Pressure Cooker. get what you pay for. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then those things I do send to my publisher, and I say, can you please try to get this taken down? And they do their best, but you know, I mean, if it's some Russian site or some Chinese site or some um <laughs> Kyrgyzstan site, they can't necessarily get it taken down off that site. But in general, I would say that most people are genuine, most people are honest, and most people will not download that, and they will buy it. I mean, I I just want to say, before we go on our one-minute cooking tip, Bruce and I have lived over the digital divide. We started publishing books when publishing books was still the way you got information out in the world. They got out through books, and there really wasn't a web I mean, there was the very beginnings of it in 1999 when our first cookbook was published. But it's just that with baby web, there was no social media, the corporate 
entities had sites, but I can still remember when I would like sign on to the, I don't know, Doritos site and it would take it six hours to load. I'd have to go away. And it wasn't interactive. All it no. was is it was like a list of all their products. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it would, <laughs> no it would take forever to load. Okay, so we went over the digital divide and what we've discovered in, and this is really an interesting point and we, maybe we should come back in a, in a future episode of this podcast and talk about it. What we discover is that content is now, oh, Oh, God help me. Content is now almost worthless. And so we have learned over the digital divide how to just give it away. And, mm. you know, if you go out to our YouTube channel, Cooking with Bruce and Mark, if you go out to our TikTok channel, Cooking with Bruce and Mark, if you go out to any of those places, even on this podcast, we just give recipes right and left we that do. we have developed because in the end... The proliferation of content has made content itself disposable. It's hard for a content creator such as we, people like us who are content creators, it's hard to get your brain around it, but you have to. It's so you the just new keep world. making more and more, and we offer more <laughs> recipes. So that's good for you. books. If you're listening to this, you win because you get a ton of free stuff, and hopefully once in a while you'll buy a copy of our books, and that also really helps us out. Yeah, exactly. Okay, before we get into the next episode of our podcast, let me tell you another way you can help us out, and that is to rate this podcast, subscribe to it so you don't miss a single episode. Drop down to the bottom of the audiobooks or the Apple menu. You'll see a way to leave a star rating. Of course, we would love it if you would think of a five-star rating for us. And it says, write a review. Well, if you just click that and just say, nice podcast or having fun, that would mean a great deal to us. Because, again, we have shied away from all advertiser content on purpose because we want to be able to say essentially anything that we want to say on the course of Cooking with Bruce and Mark. Up next, our one-minute cooking tip. Don't be afraid of anchovies. Yeah, why are people afraid of anchovies? <laughs> because they think of them as fishy and oily. And they are. They are fishy and oily, they but are. here's the thing. When you cook with them, now I don't like to just eat anchovies. If they're sitting on top of my Caesar salad, I give them to Mark. I eat if them. you put them on a pizza, I'll shoot you. I eat um, them. I don't want them that way, but... When they are mashed up and, and an ingredient, even in a Caesar dressing salad, or when they're sautéed in olive oil with garlic before I make a tomato sauce, they add an umami bomb to the bottom of the flavor, so that whatever I'm making is more savory, richer depth of flavor, not right. necessarily fishy. It's just like this secret ingredient that just makes everything taste better. So the next time you make a brown stew of some kind, a beef stew, a brown turkey stew, not a clear turkey stew, but a brown turkey stew, or a pork stew, or beef stew, or a lamb stew, any of those, you know, deep, heavy brown braises or stews, think about sauteing one chopped up anchovy with the garlic. Whenever mm -hmm. you add the garlic, think about just adding one tinned chopped up anchovy filet to it. I promise you, you will make your stew instantly more savory and more delicious. Okay, up next, Bruce's interview with County Fair legend, triple winner, three crown, 20 billion. <laughs> she has more ribbons ribbon. than anybody. Oh my God, County Fair legend, Linda Skeens, all about her new cookbook and her life running around county fairs and winning so many awards. This summer at the Virginia Kentucky District Fair, Linda Skeens won first, second, and third place for cookies, bread, and candy. 
But she also won the blue ribbon for cake, pie, brownie, sweetbread, and best overall baked goods. The internet took notice and Linda went viral. And after being on the Today Show, NPR, and many other news outlets, she's here with us today on Cooking with Bruce and Mark. Welcome, Linda. Well, I appreciate you having me today. Thank you. So I rattled off all your awards for breads and sweets, but you also won vegetables, too. You won canned tomatoes, canned corn, pickled peppers. Have I missed any? A lot of canned stuff I do every year, yes. Wow. So jellies, jams, sauerkrauts, relish. But you left the fair without much fanfare, and you didn't have an email address or Internet access. So tell me how the world ended up finding you. Well, they actually, my granddaughter was uh, recently found me. Uh, this young girl in uh, Texas, Mason, did a radio station, and she tracked my granddaughter down, and then they tracked me down. So, Linda, did it surprise you that people wanted to speak with you? Yes, it did, because I, I don't do any of that stuff. and uh, I, But I've real, been real excited about it, and I've had a nice, lot of nice comments, and I've made a lot of friends because of it. Is this the first time you've won this many awards at once? I know you've won a lot, but is this the most you've ever won at any fair? Oh, no. I've been entering fairs for about 30 years, and I usually win some kind of ribbons each year, but I won a lot at that one. Let me ask you about the recipes. Are these recipes handed down in your family, or are these all things you've created? Some are hand-me-downs, some are my creations, some are family, some are friends, just everywhere. But a lot of them are mine, yes. And when you put that many entries into a single fair, how long does it take you to prepare? Uh, it takes me, well, you enter the stuff on Sunday. I start baking on Friday evening, and I have it all done by Sunday morning. And are you pretty much baking 24 hours a day? Yeah, pretty much. I work on the crafts all in the winter when I can't get out and I can stuff in the summer and then the bacon's done last. So the crafts and the canned vegetables and the canned fruits, that stuff that you make all year and you pull out of your pantry. I do that all year. So I want to ask you um, your opinion about certain foods. What, in your opinion, makes a great fudge? Um, well, I don't know. I just... I just make them and they turn out good. I don't know what makes you got to make sure you use the right in, good ingredients in it. That's one thing I like. I use really good peanut butter. Yeah, it makes a difference if you use good ingredients. What's your favorite flavor fudge? Peanut butter. Have you been <laughs> making that your whole life? A long time, yes. And let's talk about canned vegetables. What makes your canned vegetables better than anyone else's? I do put a lot of hard work in it, and I just try to do my best and make it look good and taste good. For instance, what makes your canned corn taste better than other people's canned corn? Because clearly yours does. You want a ribbon for it. I, I don't know. I just I buy that peaches and cream or the yellow corn. I cut it off the cob and can it, and it just turns out I don't know what. I think it's just where I put so much love in my work and doing it. And what else goes into it besides corn? Water. That's all. See, that's the good thing about canning your own vegetables and fruits. You don't have to put any additives, preservatives. Some things require salt, like pickles and things, but like your vegetables, you can just, all you've got in them is your vegetables and your water, pretty much, and you know what's in them. And how big a canner are you using? How many can, How many jars can you make at a time? I have a big 
blue canner that holds seven quarts at a time. So you're really making this a lot. If you're only making seven jars at a time, you're doing this all the time. A lot of work, yes. And <laughs> the vegetables are always fresh. And do you grow them yourself or do you buy them? No, I don't have a garden, but there's a man produce right from where we live. They sell green beans, corn, tomatoes, anything you want to can. Then I have family members that donate stuff to me that they grow that they don't want. So I get stuff like that. And do you have any help in the kitchen or is this all on your own? No, I'm on my own usually. Sometimes Kathy will help me do the dishes if she's in a good mood. <laughs> my daughter. <laughs> and let me ask you, who taught you to cook like this? Well, my mother was a real good cook and my mother-in-law was a great cook. And a lot of it I just learned on my own. I just wanted to be able to cook because when I first got married, I couldn't cook. I was 16 and I never did, wasn't interested in it. But the more I did it, the more I liked it. And now I just like, I love cooking and I enjoy it. How old were you when you entered your first fair? Oh, well, I was married. It was in 83 when I entered my first thing in the fair, yes. And do you remember what that first thing was? I do, because my son encouraged me to do it. I embroidered a set of pillowcases and he wanted me to enter them in the fair. And I told him they wouldn't win. And he said, you don't know till you try. And I got a blue ribbon. And I started, after that, I entered stuff every year. Wow. And when did you switch from doing the crafts and the embroidering to doing food? Oh, I, don't, I do them all. I still do them all. I haven't switched. I still make quilts. I still embroider. And I still cook and I still can. So I do it all. Do you consider yourself a competitive person? Not really. I'm just a normal. I'm a normal mother and grandmother and great grandmother. My husband, I've been married 58 years and he's my biggest fan. They asked him one day on one of the shows, what was his favorite food? And he said, I like it all. That's a, that's a wonderful partner to have. You have a cookbook which is not surprising, coming out next summer, Blue Ribbon Kitchen, Recipes and Tips from America's Favorite County Fair Champion. That's a nice title to have, isn't it? America's Favorite County Fair Champion. Yes, I'm excited about it. And they're taking pre-orders now at lindaskeensblueribbon.com. And uh, I hope people will pre-order because they said that they're only going to publish so many. And then after those are sold, the pre-orders, they'll have to do another printing and you might have to wait a while. So if you want one, probably a good idea to order early. <laughs> yeah, I know how that works. And in the book, you're offering up 30 of your award-winning recipes plus 70 family favorites. So do you have any personal favorites? I like Parmesan chicken. My daughter, Kathy, that's here with me, spaghetti, uh, lasagna is her very favorite. My husband likes my crock pot cabbage rolls. They all have a favorite. You can ask everybody in my family or friends and they'll all say something different. So, What's your favorite? If you're cooking just for yourself, what would you make? Well, truthfully, I like my Mexican cornbread and taco soup. What goes into that Mexican cornbread that makes it so special? Mm, I just put meal and flour, eggs, a small onion, green chili peppers, cheddar cheese, buttermilk, and then I just stir it all up with love and put it in a pan and bake it. Mm, chili peppers and cheese and cornbread. That sounds fabulous. I can't wait to see the book and all the other recipes in it. Linda Keens, great good luck with the new book coming out next summer. Congratulations on all your awards, and thank you for spending a few minutes with us. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate it. 
Wow, I can't imagine the effort actually that that takes. It's really kind of unbelievable to and me. And how do you win every category, first, second, and third at a fair? But I'm, doesn't I, everybody in that town then hate you? I, probably, but I mean, if I if I truck an apple pie over to someone's house <laughs> for dinner, I panic about the pie in the back seat of the car and whether it's going to be right when it gets there, all that kind of stuff. So now imagine I'm taking something somewhere and it's going to be judged, and I'm trying to win a contest, I just can't imagine the level of pressure that would exist on me as I drove my car down the bumpy country road to get to the And if you've won first, second, and third, it means you've brought numerous pies, numerous jams, numerous jellies, numerous jellies, numerous goodies. At least, like, jams and jellies are sealed in jars, but oh my gosh, baked goods? Traveling with baked goods. I used to teach knitting in uh, West Hartford, Connecticut, and I would drive from where we live, and I always brought a cake with me. And it was the stupidest thing. It's an hour drive, and I would have the cake on a cake stand, and I would be holding it on the passenger seat with my right hand so that oh, it wouldn't great. go anywhere where I drove. Oh, I, there were a couple I, of times I don't where want to hear it. there was a couple of times where there was cake on the floor, but you know. Yeah, you're lucky. There's not a couple of times where brains on the windshield. <laughs> um, I don't want to hear it. So okay. Our final segment of the podcast traditionally, what is making us happy in food this week? And I'm going to start because it involves anchovies. And that is the other night Bruce made a huge pot of puttanesca meatballs. So he made beef and pork meatballs. They were delicious. He roasted them in the oven so that they would be caramelized on all sides. And I mean heavily caramelized and roasted in the oven. And then he dropped them into this pot of puttanesca with capers and olives. But what it had... It has had enough anchovies to make me happy. And <laughs> it was just this unbelievably savory mixture. And it needed to be because he served it over polenta. Delicious Putinesca meatballs. Well, thank you. But what's making me happy this week is Concord grape jelly. Oh, yes. Mark makes me make it every year. year. I do. I grew up on, of course, Welch's and peanut butter as the sandwich of choice. I begged for it in my lunch because if I didn't beg for that, I got... Gag me olive loaf sandwiches on Wonder Bread with mayonnaise. So I would beg for crunchy peanut butter and Welch's grape jelly. And now Bruce makes Concord grape jelly. If you want to hear Barbara Walters' reaction to Mark's eating the the olive loaf, go to our YouTube channel. And there's a video of us being interviewed by Barbara Walters (laughs) and Mark talking about eating Mm, olive loaf. Let's just say that I brought the view to a dead (laughs) hole. Um... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Which wasn't an easy thing to do. It's uh, yeah, I love the Concord grape, and I know it's a pain in the neck because you have to break out the jelly bag, right? And yep, all that stuff. Yep, you do. You have to but let it drip. I'm going to be doing it again this week because we have friends with a big orchard, and they brought me quince, and I'm making quince jelly. Wow. Okay. See, Bruce is a very industrious character, and otherwise, I'm going to go read a book. So that was our podcast. This week, cooking with Bruce and Mark, we certainly appreciate your being on the journey with us. We are currently writing our 36th book and photographing it. It'll be out next year, but out right now is the Instant Air Fryer Bible. We would love for you to get a copy of that. Yeah, get a copy of that. Pick up a copy of any of our books for yourself, for someone you love. And please tune in next week and listen to another episode of Cooking with Bruce and Mark. <laughs>